Hey, Wilson. Happy Sunday, old buddy. Hi-ho, neighbor. What you got going on today? Well, it's such a beautiful day. I thought I'd enjoy Community Online right here on the back patio. You? I'm actually trying to get the family out the door to make it to in-person church today. <laughs> As if. Not going well. It's just so frustrating, Wilson. She knows how angry it makes me when we're late, and yet she always acts so surprised, as if this is the first and only time we've ever been late to anything. And why am I so angry all of a sudden? Relationships are hard. <sighs> yeah. Well, I guess this will be a good series for me then. The big idea is all about relationships. Do the work. That's it. I mean, you gotta do the work if you want good relationships, right? We've all experienced relational pain. Even you and I have had our days, Wilson. <laughs> but carrying around that hurt and disappointment, even guilt, especially about a broken relationship, and that can really take its toll. You got that right. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to this series, and I'm ready to do the work, whether it's a relationship inside the home or outside the home that needs improvement. I see what you did there. All right, you can go ahead and slowly have a seat. It is great, great to have you with us this morning. Uh, it's great to have you here at Community Christian Church in Lincoln Park. Uh, our mission is to help people find their way back to God. We're so grateful you joined us. Um, this morning, if you are new, we would love to connect with you, especially if you're looking to connect with us. You can actually scan this QR code to check in and get a digital service, or digital program, excuse me. Or if you're just here and part of our church family, we love to know that you're here. You can check in as well. Uh, my name is John Perrine. I am the community pastor here. It is great to have you with us. A uh, couple newer things. If you've been worshiping with us for a while, you may have noticed Chris, who is a church planter, pastor in Chicago. He's helping us as we're having some transitions with our worship and arts, and so it was just great, great to have him this morning. Uh, you may also have noticed children doing some experimental contemporary dance pieces up front, including, I think at one point, the doll joining in worship. I don't know if any of you caught that. Uh, it was either moving or disturbing, depending on your vantage point. Um, but we, we have just transitioned as we're sort of settling into the post-COVID, trying to move as back to normal as possible. Families are going to be worshiping with us, and I just love, obviously I've got my kids, the chose, there's other children we're hoping to bring and receive here. There is something obviously distracting to children, that's always the case, that's why the disciples fended children off from Jesus when they would run up to him, and yet I just want to encourage you, as you see the kids worshiping with us before and after the service, just let it fill your heart with joy and wonder again at what it looks like to have so much freedom that you run around and dance and sing and shout because Jesus said, let, let the children come to me. Uh, so one other big announcement for us this Sunday, tonight, we are going to launch something that we brought up last week. So for those of you who joined us last week was Taco Fest. It was a big party, basically. The tacos were really good. We went over the surveys that we have been hounding you all about, heard some really great things in the surveys, and are trying to do our best to lean into them. But one of the things we heard in the surveys was that you are longing. You're longing for more discipleship, more Bible, more depth. And so we wanted immediately to launch something this summer that's going to be the next three weeks, Sunday nights. We are calling it the Delta Force training. Uh, Chuck Norris will not be there. But uh, that was a 1980s joke that I barely am aware of. Uh, 
it's just right on the edge of my timeline. But uh, the Delta Force training is a chance to really go deeper. If you're part of our church and you're looking to become part of the core of our community, if you're connected to leadership, if you're serving on teams, if you're wanting to lean in deeper with us, it's going to be Sunday nights. It's at my house. You can sign up right outside. We're almost actually at max capacity, so we've got just a couple slots left. We'd love for you to sign up if you're planning to join us, and feel free to talk to me or talk to Lizzie if you have any questions. We would love to see you there, and it's going to just be a rich time for us to go deeper together. Uh, So that's kind of where we're going. That's where we're Moving this summer, uh, this Sunday, we have our very own John Ferguson giving a video message. We don't always do video messages. We actually, ironically, heard last week that there can be some frustration when the video message is here on Sunday morning. And so one of the ways we wanted to respond is John Ferguson's about to bring us a word. And at the end of John Ferguson's message, we're going to get our staff team, myself, Lizzie, and Jesse, up here on stage, and we're going to wrestle with it just a little bit before we move into a time of communion and worship. So I'm really looking forward this Sunday to just bringing this word home to us. Uh, But before we do, I just want to transition to giving back to God. This is a point in our service where out of the joy and generosity of what God has done for us, our whole community joins together in giving back to God. You can give in three ways. You can scan the QR code, you can text, or we have a box right back there at the back. Uh, But we just want to give you a time to join us in worship by giving back to what God has given to us. And so, uh, in just a second, I'm going to show you a video that's a story from our broader community network, a story that's going to share really what God has been doing. It's, it's actually a great, great video. I think you're going to enjoy it. And then following that, we're going to move straight into the message before we come back here on stage to dive deeper. So, with that, let me go ahead and pray as we move now into a time of giving back to God. God, may you fill this place this morning. We pray this would be a house of the Lord that is full of joy, where we see just this movement within us as we start a new conversation around doing the work. Lord, may you have a word for each of us this morning. And we lift this prayer up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to start this talk and this series by acknowledging something that I think we can all agree on. What is it? Relationships are hard. If you agree with that statement, say it with me, okay? Relationships are hard. Now, careful, some of you said that with a little too much gusto, and now the person sitting next to you is giving you the side eye. Uh, But it's true. Uh, Relationships are not easy. And because of that, this might be the most important series of the year. If we'd take an honest inventory, I think we'd have to admit that the last few years have taken a real toll, and many of our relationships are simply not what they used to be. Uh, On the positive side, we've likely grown closer to some people and we've started some new friendships, which is great. But on the not so positive side, some of us are in open conflict with friends and family in ways we would have never thought possible. Uh, For others, that anger and frustration might not be out in the open, but secretly we hold a grudge that's creating significant distance. And finally, some relationships, uh, for all sorts of reasons, have come to an end. And that always hurts. So I'll tell you what, say it with me again, okay? Relationships are hard. Uh, My guess is that as you say those words, at least one relationship comes to mind. Uh, Maybe for you, it's a, a parent who never did provide the support you needed. It could be a child whose decisions continue to break your heart. It might be a spouse or significant other who's become emotionally or or physically distant. 
or a friend or coworker who has let you down or, or just seems to be uh, com- completely unaware of your feelings. The truth is, all of us experience relational pain, hurt, and disappointment. Now, if you're like me, uh, when a relationship is hard, uh, my tendency is to think if only that person would realize how wrong they are and change, everything would be resolved, right? Uh, I sometimes even rehearse in my mind a speech I would just love to give, just telling them all the ways they've wronged me. And I mean, these speeches are so good in my head, eloquent, just the right words. Anybody else do that? And sometimes our perspective is valid. We have reason to be upset. However, in this series, uh, we're going to challenge one another to recognize this. You ready? Relational restoration begins with us. Relational restoration begins with who? It begins with us. In this series, we are going to challenge each other to do the work of relational restoration. Of course, we depend on God, but God works in collaboration with us. We do the natural. He does the supernatural. I believe that's one reason the Apostle Paul counsels us to keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. We do our part, God does His. We do our part, God does His. We kept and we keep in step with the Spirit. Now, a quick and important note here. I mean, there are some relationships where restoration is not feasible or even healthy. So we're not saying to go back to an abusive or toxic relationship. We are not saying that every broken relationship needs to be restored. In fact, if you're in a toxic or abusive relationship, we want to let you know there there is help available. What we're saying today is that God is likely bringing to mind at least one relationship that you know is worth fighting for. Uh, One relationship that he so wants to restore. And the work of restoration doesn't begin with you and that person. No, it actually begins with you and God. And you might say you plus God. So let's start by talking about you. (laughs) You are interested in that topic, aren't you? Uh, Most of us are interested in learning more about who we are, our true identity. And we often go about trying to find our identity in our interests, our jobs, our successes, Yet I would say the one place we seem to search for our identity more than anywhere else is in our relationships. I mean, after all, we are social beings. We need social interaction in order to survive. Even the most introverted needs some type of social interaction. Yes, introverts, you actually do need other people, maybe just in small doses. The problem comes when we base our identity or our our sense of worth on these relationships, what these people think or say about us. And, you know, we often turn to, you know, people pleasing and image management online or in person, just hoping to create an identity that people will like. And it's utterly exhausting. And there's consequences. Uh, Maybe you can relate to one or more of these. You know, we start comparing ourselves with others. You know, how we feel about ourselves depends on how we stack up. Do I feel better off or worse off than those around me? We often look for validation from others. We start to behave certain ways because that's what we think is expected of us. We may try to dress a certain way or talk a certain way. And we feel good when we're acknowledged and we feel rejected when nobody seems to even notice. I mean, ever buy something new, maybe like a, a shirt or, or a pair of shoes or a jacket, you go out, nobody even notices. It's not a word. It's kind of brutal, isn't it? 
Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. We look for validation from others. Uh, we also blame others. When we don't receive what we think we need from someone, we start pointing the finger, don't we? We blame him or her for not meeting our expectations. And finally, we often take things personally. Uh, when we try to find our identity in what others say or think about us, we, we tend to take everything personal. Even, even the very slightest criticism just affects us tremendously. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I gotta admit, I see every one of these consequences in my own life. And I know it's because I base too much of my self-worth on what other people think of me. How about you? You see, trying to find our identity in other people sets us up for all kinds of problems. And yet, too often, that's where we turn. Uh, think of little kids. I mean, have you ever had a kid in your life who constantly said, watch me, watch me? Anytime they do something super exciting, like jump over a quarter, they want you to watch and notice, right? All little kids do that. Mine did it. And it's normal for little kids to form their identity in relationship to others. You see, the problem is when we grow up and we still need someone to watch me. We may not say it out loud, but we still look for someone else to define us. And don't get me wrong, wanting to understand your identity is a very good thing. We all wanna know who we are. I and mean, it's one of the reasons why uh, a few years ago, discovering your DNA through tests like Ancestry.com and 23andMe was all the rage. Over 30 million people took those tests. Uh, quick show of hands. All right, who took one of those tests? Yeah, I, I did. Didn't help my identity much. I found that I'm 95% English, whiter than white. Just made me feel boring. Now, my wife, on the other hand, discovered that her DNA includes Jewish ancestry, which confirms something we already knew, that she is much more like Jesus than me. I mean, I was just hoping to get some interesting results, like maybe this pastor, Jay Spates. Uh, Jay grew up in uh, New Jersey, but was always curious about his African ancestry. So Jay took a DNA test, and when he got his results back, he found out that he is a prince. <laughs> he lives in an apartment, doesn't even own a car, but now he's a prince. So Jay visited his long-lost country, the small nation of Benin in West Africa, and was welcomed as royalty. True story, can't make this up. One paper reported that when he first arrived, he saw what looked like a festival, hundreds of people dancing and playing instruments and singing. It took him several minutes to realize it was a welcome party for him. Can you imagine? Yeah, Jay the pastor from New Jersey is now a prince. <laughs> but here's something crucial that I want you to understand today. Listen to this. If you look deeply into your own ancestry, you will discover that you too are way more than you ever imagined. Way more. Now, not many of us are likely West African royalty, but John, the disciple who is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, reminds us that God sees each and every one of us as a child of his, a child of God. So, you actually are a prince or a princess in Jesus' kingdom community. Think about that. Uh, our family, we just returned from London a couple of weeks ago. We were there a little bit before the Queen's Jubilee, and so we got a healthy dose of British royalty. And it is pretty amazing to be a child or you know, heir of the Queen. It's a big deal. But folks, you and me, 
We are children of God. That is incredible. Yeah, when we choose to follow Jesus, we become children of God. We start to bear his resemblance. We, we recognize each other as family because of that family likeness. I have two children, they're adults now. And, you know, fortunately they got most of their looks from their mom, but they will admit they also have qualities and mannerisms that are very much like me. I mean, that's how it works when you're related. So, so let me ask you, what kinds of character traits, mannerisms, and expressions do you think demonstrate a relationship to our Father God? What do you think? What mannerisms, characteristics, expressions do you think demonstrate a relationship to our Father God? In one of the Apostle John's letters to us, the family of God, he answers that question and he says that the hallmark characteristic of God's family is, what do you think? He says the hallmark characteristic of God's family is, say it out loud if you know it, love, love. John writes this, he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God, our Father. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. On the other hand, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Earlier in that same letter, John says that the seed of God is actually in us. Yeah, the seed of love is in us. Simply put, you see, as God's children, he is in our DNA. And the hallmark quality of God's family is love because God is love. It's not just what he is like or what he's about, it's who he is. And as his children, you see, we take on that quality, that family trait of becoming more and more loving. You see, that's how we are marked as being related to God and Jesus. So the most obvious first step to restoring a relationship starts with you and God. It starts with us finding our identity in him. Because we are beloved children of God, the God who is love, we can love others. A while back, one of my, my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, spoke to our leadership at Community. Uh, he's a former Catholic priest and recovering alcoholic. And he will tell you that it was when he found his identity as a child of God that he was able to begin to restore relationships that he destroyed through his addiction. And he put it with this way. Listen carefully. He writes, living in the awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. Think about that. Living in the awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. Being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It's not merely a lofty thought, an inspiring idea, or one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way he relates to us. When our relationship with God is secure, that gives us a foundation from which to relate to others in health and wholeness and love. We no longer need other people to fill our longing for acceptance and approval. We can be free from needing others to define us because God's love defines us. And then we can find peace and belonging and joy in him. This is incredibly great news and it's absolutely life-changing. A recent study of 2,000 millennials showed that an astounding 80%, eight out of 10, 
Eight out of 10 believe they are not good enough in virtually every area of their lives. They say they are constantly overwhelmed by pressure to succeed in their careers, to develop meaningful romantic relationships, to meet the expectations of others, and to maintain a social media presence. Pressure to maintain a social media presence. And my guess is millennials aren't the only ones. I mean, I've shared before that one of my many Achilles heels is my drive to succeed or to at least appear successful. And for me, accomplishing a task or finishing a project and being publicly acknowledged, it's like, a, it's like a drug. It feels way, way better than it should. But like most drugs, it's temporary and fleeting and lasts only until I sense that there's another job that needs to get done. And I'm pretty sure that much of this drive stems from fear. And mostly a fear of failure. But you see, the good news that I'm trying to learn is that when we are rooted in God's love for us, we no longer have to live in fear. Yeah, that fear of you know not making a cut, simply hoping we're successful enough, important enough, or loved enough. Just a few sentences later in John's letter, he tells us that love actually drives out fear. John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Now, let me say that driving out fear doesn't mean that anxiety suddenly disappears. Uh, many people I know have anxiety and use therapy and medication to manage their anxiety under a doctor's supervision. There's nothing wrong or shameful in that. Anxiety isn't the result of a lack of love. What we are saying here is that a deep realization and recognition of our belovedness, our relationship to God, that's what gives us the freedom to love others. Uh, my friend and fellow teaching pastor, Carrie Latticer, she put it this way. She says, when I'm firmly rooted in my belovedness as a child of God, take this in, I have nothing to earn because there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. I have nothing to lose because there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. I have nothing to gain because there's nothing I can gain that's more valuable than him. And I have nothing to prove because there's nothing more to demonstrate about my worth. I am simply his beloved, his beloved. When we root ourselves so deeply and firmly in the love of Jesus, we can accept criticism. We could take risks. We could speak the truth in love. We could even weather rejection. It's still hard and painful, absolutely for sure. But when we find our identity in God's love for us, we can love without fear. Now, this truth about our belovedness isn't something we learn once and we're good to go. No, this is the kind of truth that you gotta keep coming back to over and over again. It's, it's like water for your soul. You can't drink a bunch of water one day and expect to last you for weeks. You have to drink water every day, many times a day. And you have to return to this truth every single day, many times a day. So how can we practice the truth of our belovedness every single day? Well, I wanna invite your local teaching pastor to come in and share a simple way that we can do this work every single day. All right, well, I just wanna welcome up uh, Lizzie and Jesse to come on up. Um, we're gonna just enter into a little bit of a conversation uh, for just a couple minutes to unpack 
uh, a little bit more. This new series that we're in called Do the Work, and then at the end I'm going to come back to this simple tool that John Ferguson was referring to. Uh, but some of, some of the reason to invite Jesse and Lizzie up was that we were talking as a staff team. This, by the way, is our lovely staff team here at Community Lincoln Park. You're looking at it. Uh, this is where all the magic happens. Um, as we were talking as a staff team about this series, as we were wrestling with what, what would a conversation look like that could help move the needle, move us forward, respond to what is being shared, all three of us came to the realization that when we have thought about our own journeys of doing the work, it at some point has involved going to see a therapist, asking someone intentionally, specifically, to help us do this work of identity. So uh, as we were talking about it, we thought it could actually be really helpful in a church setting where the presumption almost always is everyone has it all together, <laughs> to share a little bit more with you what these journeys look like for each of us and to give a little bit of encouragement if you yourself, journeying through this series with us, sense that you need help doing the work. So Jesse, I just wanted to start with you and uh, you were sharing with us, what does this look like to come to the realization you need to do the work? What does doing the work look like for you? Give us a little bit more of your journey. Yeah, for sure. So um, as some of you guys know, um, I've been married to Kate for uh, almost nine years. We're coming up on nine years at the end of June. And, um, you know, one of the things in the Bible that it kind of suggests is that marriage um, helps you be more like Jesus. And so, um, through marriage, I realized kind of <laughs> some of my shortcomings and um, <laughs> where I needed to work. And so, yeah, we, you know, you view us as rock stars of marriage, nine years. Um, approximately eight and a half years ago, uh, we <laughs> went to uh, couples counseling. And when you go in, you know, John kind of alluded to it. You're kind of thinking like, all right, we're going to go into couples counseling. They're going to learn how to be better and kind of accept uh, different things or be more forgiving or whatever. Um, but then... I realized through, through that process kind of uh, the things that I needed to work on. And, and one of them um, was just kind of my emotional intelligence. Like I realized in counseling, I hadn't ever been able to put, um, put it into words, but I avoided emotions because um, they're messy and oftentimes don't feel great. And so I was just like, cool, I'll just put that under the rug. Um, and, you know, and then so realizing that I was not able to fill um, that in our, our marriage relationship of like expressing emotions and um, kind of how that was hindering us uh, as a couple, um, we started to we started to do some work and realized um, for me, it was it was realizing that God actually is an emotional God. And you look at Jesus's life and he is also um, an emotional being. And so being created in his image actually led me to finding out these emotions to know more and more like fully who I am in God. I love that. So the unexpected mirror, you went to counseling thinking it would help fix the other person. And instead you found yourself going deeper into your own emotions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't actually think Kate needed to work on anything, but um, <laughs> other yeah. people. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. no, absolutely. Sure. sure. No, that's great, Jesse. Thank you. Lizzie, we were talking, and you just recently have been posting about your own mental health journey, sort of sharing publicly about it, but we were talking especially about the obstacles, like the things that keep you from leaning in to do this kind of work Jesse's sharing about. What has that looked like in your own life, and what would you share with us around overcoming those obstacles? Oh, thank you so much. Um, so I have two children, and in April of last year, we had our second, and after that, I just noticed that something was off, that 
I was having a really hard time processing emotions. I was waking up in the middle of the night with insomnia and I thought, oh, it's just pregnancy insomnia, it's ascended, but it wasn't. And then the kids would wake up early and I would find myself waking up in the morning just sobbing and unaware of really wanting to go through the day, wanting to parent, wanting to do anything. I just wanted to run away. So I knew that there was something that needed to change. And I had reached out to friends and they're like, I think you might need to invest in a therapist. I talked to my OBGYN and she's like, I think you might need to invest in a therapist. <laughs> and yeah. um, But y'all, it's really hard when there's so many therapists out there to like take that first step to find one. And I really value efficiency. So the thought of sitting down with someone and telling my life story and it not being a good fit just really bothered me. Um, so I find that I work really well with recommendations. So I just started reaching out to people and a friend of mine actually was like, Hey, um, I go to a therapist and she's a believer and I think you should talk to her. And I did. And I'm still a work in progress, but even after that first meeting of getting to just say, this is what I'm dealing with and I just need tools. I know that I am loved and I know that the only person that I need to fix, I can draw a circle around myself and it's me. And I wanna be better for my family. I wanna be better so that I can help others love the Lord better so that I can serve better. And what can I do? So she gave me practical tools to help with anxiety in the middle of the night, to help with insomnia, to help with conflict resolution, to help de-escalate myself whenever the kids were turning up or whenever I'm getting frustrated about something. And just having those tools already has just been so unbelievably beneficial to know that I'm not alone. It's okay to struggle. Things are hard, but there are ways to make it bearable. Yeah, thanks Lizzie. Yeah, I mean, if you're hearing any shared similarities here in Lizzie and Jesse's story, it would be in my own too, that you just hit this moment where you've sort of run out of resources, right? You realize that you're trying to do the work, you even have the identity of belovedness that you know should be there, but the connection isn't occurring between your identity in Christ, in God, and, and the work, the work that you find all around you. Uh, my own journey, I've gone to counseling several times, and yet it was inevitably two years ago at the height of lockdown, at the height of the pandemic. It was sitting uh, in my own marriage, realizing that I probably very clinically was depressed, that uh, I was just angry all the time, <laughs> felt frustrated all the time, and would excuse it with the, this is lockdown, this is COVID, surely this is how everyone's feeling, and yet uh, hitting a moment for me, it was New Year's, realizing I think I'm as low as I've ever been, and I think I finally have to do the most humbling thing, which is ask for help, and so go back to reach out to a therapist I knew and to see if we could set up Zoom conversations. So as you kind of hear our journeys, a little bit of our stories, our encouragement to you our encouragement to you is just to take a step. Uh, I want to give both these guys a chance to speak their encouragements to you, but I just want to acknowledge not everyone here needs to go to therapy right now. We're not saying that. Uh, although probably more of you here than you would like to acknowledge might need to go to therapy in light of this conversation. But what we really want to show you, our heart behind this series, is that all of us have work to do. All of us have work that we can be doing. And what we want to open the door to for you is to first realize it's okay to need help to take a step forward in this identity of belovedness. It's okay to ask 
us as your community to help you, and it could actually even be really great to ask for professional help when it comes to wherever you're at, wherever you're stuck, wherever you're struggling. So as just a closing encouragement, Jesse, Lizzie, give you both a chance, but Jesse, start with you. Any last word of encouragement for everyone who's thinking about doing the work? Yeah, I think for me, it was um, kind of being intentional about it, that it was like we were able to name, all right, I need to work on my emotional IQ, and um, and that God is an emotional God. So intentionally being like, all right, I'm going to go to the Psalms. I'm going to like recognize the emotional scriptures that Jesus is, you know, living emotionally and and start attaching that to my life. Um, But then also just kind of being able to work with Kate and knowing when I'm maybe not being as great or, you know, at um, at expressing my emotions. Um, And so although it was eight and a half years ago, you know, it's still like a a work in progress and knowing what I'm I'm working towards, knowing what I'm working on and, and just being intentional about Uh, recognizing my full identity in Jesus. And I would just say, there's hope. It gets better. And for me, the biggest thing was finding an accountability partner. And I believe this with like all things in life. If you want to do anything, find someone that's going to walk with you on that journey that you can be open and vulnerable with. And I will tell you this, it's like a little side note. Therapy is really fun because it's like gossiping about yourself. So you don't have to like feel guilty about it. You know what I mean? You just get to just lay it all out there and get to the root of what's really happening. So not saying you have to go to therapy, but just find a trusted friend or person that you can really confide in to figure out what is, what is really going on here? What is really going on? And it's just a wonderful way to just do self-reflection and self-actualizing and realize that first and foremost, you're loved by Jesus, but also there are ways to just make this life that's hard a little bit easier. Well said. Could we give Jesse and Lizzie a hand here? Just thanking them for sharing. Um, I want to teach you a tool that John promised before we turn to a time of communion. Because uh, I know the reality for some of us even here is that therapy can feel intimidating because it's an expense. Uh, maybe you have to work with insurance, take next steps, or maybe just this isn't a season where therapy is necessary or required. So what is a practical tool all of us can use that you can use right now, uh, even now, as you attempt to settle into your belovedness in Christ? So this is simply called a breath prayer. If you've ever Uh, experienced breath prayers or experimented with them at all. Breath prayers are ancient, so we find these all the way back rooted in the very early church. And the idea is that as you are living your life, going about your day, you are constantly breathing in and out, and yet we so rarely pay attention to these breaths that are going in and breaths that are going out. So a breath prayer is using your breath as a way to draw attention to a prayer to draw attention to something that you either are longing to see or some identity you're longing to be rooted in. So we're actually going to have breath prayers each week as we move through this series. I hope that breath prayer could, along with going to therapy, be a step that you might take in doing the work. But to do this together, I'm going to invite you to just loosen up a tiny bit. Uh, you can, yeah, feel free to shake it out. It's great. You're doing great. Uh, I find that breath prayer can be nice. You don't have to do this when you're necessarily like on public transport or anything, but uh, when we're together in church, you can go ahead and just put a hand right here on your chest as you're going to pay attention to your lungs. And to start with breath, hair, breath prayer, I just want to invite you to breathe in deeply with me and breathe out slowly. 
Go ahead and take another breath in. And another slow breath out. If it would help, you can actually close your eyes now for just a second. No one's watching. No one's paying attention as you keep breathing in and breathing out. And the prayer is simply this. As you breathe in, you say, God is love. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it to yourself. And as you hold it for just a second, you're then going to breathe out and say, I am loved. So it's as simple as that. Let's practice it a few times together. As we breathe in, God is love. As you hold it a second, you're going to breathe out, I am loved. Go ahead and try it just by yourself a couple times here. Pay attention to that breath in. Hold the love of God as you then breathe out. This is just a tool. This is a way as you go ahead and slowly open your eyes. This is a tool for you to use to remember your identity of belovedness. This is a great tool when you become anxious, uh, when you are lying awake in the middle of the night. This can be a great tool as you're heading into conflict at work, maybe a hard conversation. 